Welcome to our podcast. I'm Richie, the student ministry director here at Highway. We're continuing in our summer teaching series, Eyes to See, where we reflect on the way Jesus saw as he was present among us on earth. In this series, there is an invitation for us to not just explore who and what Jesus saw, but to also have eyes to see like Jesus. A little bit about myself, I have a lot of different hobbies. I like climbing, I enjoy playing video games, board games, Um, I like playing music, I have a list of things that I watch on TV, and I enjoy collecting things, specifically Pokemon or Magic the Gathering cards. Now, if you don't collect trading cards, you might not know what the heck I'm talking about. So let me introduce you to one of the things I enjoy doing. Similar to sports cards, the cards I collect are pieces of cardboard that have pictures and text on them. The cardboard pieces that I buy can also be used to play games with, but believe it or not, these cardboard pieces can be worth a lot of money, which means I spend a lot of money on expensive cardboard. Occasionally, the business that sells these cardboard pieces will sell only a handful of them, creating a sense of urgency because of their scarcity. Ultimately, what ends up happening is there becomes a mad rush of people to buy out whatever they can find of this product. Target is one of my my go-to happy places, if you will. There's something about the lights and the way that it's set up that I just enjoy walking through, even if I don't buy anything. Especially in the summer, it has AC. I might be going too much into detail with this, but my feet get really warm sometimes, so I enjoy actually walking around barefoot in Target. I know it's gross. It's just something I've been doing. But anytime I walk into Target, the first thing you'll notice me do is that I go straight to the section where they have all of their cards at, which is usually in the front near the bathrooms. And for a while, the companies that create these cardboard paper goods weren't sending enough product to meet the demand. Often you'd see shelves usually filled with Pokemon cards completely empty. I had parents even at youth groups saying they haven't seen any Pokemon cards at their local Target for ages. Now, my wife Deanna is extremely understanding and patient, but sometimes I get sucked into wanting to buy a new special set that is coming out with a special artist and some special design, and they're only selling it for a limited time, which means these cards are scarce. I am a sucker for this tactic. I see these cards that are out for just a limited time, sometimes only a week, and I tell my wife I have to buy them. They're only out for a limited amount of time. They're scarce. I think back when the pandemic initially started. Do you remember when toilet paper suddenly became a scarce commodity? When you'd walk into a Target or you know practically anywhere and there were empty shelves with no toilet paper. It was actually kind of scary. There's something about scarcity that draws our attention to it. Sometimes it's good. Like it deserves our attention so we can react. Sometimes, though, we spend too much time dwelling on what we don't have rather than what we do have. I found that many of us tend to look at what we lack with scarcity before recognizing what we have with the lens of abundance. 
I can look at all the cards I don't have, the ones I'm missing from a specific set, the ones that are limited edition that I don't have, or, or think about how few toilet paper rolls our household has left. But we can look at the same situation and make a completely different choice based on our perspective. I can look at everything that I'm lacking that I don't have, or I can start to see the things that are already there. This might not always be at Target with expensive cardboard or toilet paper, but maybe even as we look within ourselves and consider things like our own gifting, our own capabilities, we tend to look at what we lack. Maybe it's our inability to do a certain thing, think a certain way, speak as eloquently. We often think to ourselves that we're not good enough, not qualified enough. Maybe it's during a high-pressure moment, like an interview process, or maybe in the mundane moments of our daily lives. Feeling like you don't have what it takes to do well in school. Wondering the same about parenting or as a partner, an employee, a friend. Sometimes these moments happen randomly when we just start looking at ourselves and see everything that we don't have or what we don't do. We see this a lot in scripture. And actually some pretty key people in scripture go through these moments of focusing too much on what they lack and forget about what they have. Moses, for instance, is called by God to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. In Exodus chapter 3, we recognize that God sees the oppression of his people in Egypt. God hears the cries of his people who are enslaved and being abused. And at this point in the story, God is now going to act and do something to free these people. And to do this, God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt into freedom. You would think that being called by God, especially through a burning bush, would be enough for Moses to say yes to whatever it is God is calling him into. But we see that Moses and God go back and forth for a long time. Moses starts with pointing out that he is a nobody. He has no authority. How can God expect a shepherd to waltz up to the Pharaoh and just ask to let God's people go? Moses points out his lack of confidence, and God assures Moses that he will be with Moses. Then Moses turns and says, But what if the Israelites, your people, don't believe what it is I have to say? God has a response here too. We start to see a pattern here in Exodus that leads us to believe that maybe Moses just doesn't want to go in the first place. Rebuttal after rebuttal that God gives to Moses, Moses seems to have a new excuse. Moses doesn't have the authority to approach Pharaoh. Are the Israelites even going to listen to him? Moses can't talk good. To which God responds, well, who do you think it is that decides whether people can speak or not? And at the end of it all, Moses still pleads with God to send someone else. Moses focuses in on all of what he can't do. His perspective looks inwardly on what is scarce rather than what God has given him in abundance. We see the same pattern in Judges 6, where the Israelites were suffering under oppression against the Midianites. 
God hears the cries of the Israelites and acts upon the oppression. And so an angel calls Gideon to go and strike down all the Midianites. Gideon's response, very similar to Moses, is that he is the least in his family and that his clan was the weakest. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 1, when Jeremiah is called to be a prophet to the nations, and his response is that he doesn't know how to speak, and that he's too young. We see moments like this when someone is called by God, and their initial response is, I'm not good enough. I could never lead those people. I don't know how to speak eloquently enough. You should find someone else. I'm too young. Go ask my older sibling. Too weak, not strong enough, not qualified. I don't have the experience, the time, the money, the resources to do what it is you are asking of me, God. I don't have enough. These stories sound all too familiar to our own. How many times have we made an excuse to not answer the calling that God has set out for us? Maybe let's change this idea a little. How many times have we made an excuse like, I don't have that kind of time, energy, or resources to serve those around me? How many times have we made an excuse like, I don't know the person, they intimidate me, they won't listen to what it is I have to say. How many times have we made a similar excuse to not love someone the way Christ would love them? And I think more often than not, A lot of people believe in God, but doubt they could ever be used by God. We believe in God, but doubt we could ever be used by God. See, Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah did not have a problem with believing in God, but had a problem in believing that they could be used by God. And I think you and I are the same. I can't tell you how many times I have had an opportunity to love someone else, maybe through just asking if everything was okay and actually listening to their story, or have made an excuse to not share about my faith because they've probably heard about Jesus before. And besides, I can't explain my faith that well. Maybe we let our title get in the way and some of us think, oh, we're not a pastor or I don't have that kind of education to engage in that kind of conversation. If I'm honest, the ones that come up for me a lot are I'm too sleepy, I'm too tired, or I have too much to do that I can't make time for that. And yet God continues to call us into these spaces. And I wonder if we are just like Moses, just like Gideon, just like Jeremiah, where we believe in God, but we doubt that we could be used by God. We tend to look at what we lack rather than what we have our weaknesses instead of our strengths, with scarcity rather than abundance. This theme actually carries over into the New Testament. Many of us have read this story, the feeding of the 4,000. It's very similar to the story about the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew. That is one chapter before the one we're about to focus on today. It starts in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 29. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them. 
Now, I have a lot of questions about this part of the story because Jesus is climbing a a hill. But the crowd of people are bringing others to Jesus who may not have been able to walk. Why then is Jesus climbing a hill? Is he trying to get away from this crowd? Actually, something really beautiful is happening here. It's not going to completely answer the question, but often the mountaintop was the place where God and humanity would most often meet. Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. The prophet Elijah spoke to God in his silent whisper on Mount Horeb. Eventually, Jesus was crucified on Calvary or Golgotha, a hill. The mountain was a place where heaven and earth met. It's the place where we're about to read on that people were healed. Verse 31 says this, The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking and the blind could see. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. Or in many translations, I have compassion for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? The response from the disciples is interesting because it brings us into their perspective of what the current situation is. If you remember, we are at the second point in which Jesus is about to feed many. The first being the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14, and now the second in Matthew 15, which we are focusing on, where Jesus will feed the 4,000. You would think that their response would immediately be to offer what it is they had, to give Jesus an opportunity to reenact what he did not too long ago. But the disciples' perspective is to focus in on the lack of food, the scarcity, rather than the abundance. Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? This question, how much bread do you have, gives us insight into how Jesus sees with perspective. So remember this, but let's read on. Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? And they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. Again, another question I have that we won't get into, and it probably doesn't matter, but how long were the disciples going to go without eating anything until they decide to whip out the seven loaves and a few fish to eat for a snack? I mean, I've gone on walks before, and within the first hour, I'm already snacking on my trail mix. Regardless, we read on, and it says, So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home, and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. Now, in this passage, we learn a lot about who Jesus is and how he sees and even who he sees. We recognize that Jesus sees those who are hungry and has compassion for them. The kind of compassion that moves him into action. A similar kind of compassion that I think is happening when God hears the cry of his people in the Old Testament. 
what we see is that compassion moves us into action, but also compassion helps us to see with perspective. Compassion is one of the things that helps us to see what we have rather than what we don't. When we see with Jesus's perspective, we see abundance rather than scarcity. When we read these stories in the Old Testament, we see God's compassion for the people, seeing with perspective for what is available to be used, then moving to free the oppressed. But the opposite is also true. A lack of compassion doesn't cause movement. We see this lack of compassion in many of the starting journeys of the prophets. They didn't move. They, didn't, they just made excuses. They doubted their abilities. They thought they weren't good enough, old enough, strong enough. Some went the opposite direction, only to be swallowed by a fish sent by God. But here, we see Jesus has compassion and sees with perspective what the disciples have and asks the question, how much bread do you have? How much bread do you have? This question that Jesus asked the disciples goes against so much of what we are bombarded with in our daily lives. Because our daily lives are typically lived in comparison or yearning or recognizing that we don't have what it takes, instead of recognizing how much we already have, we look at things differently and see how much we don't have. It's the kind of comments we often think to ourselves that we are not enough. We don't have that kind of experience, that kind of motivation. It's the kind of comments that Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah at one point bought into, that they thought they were not going to have the right words to say. They were not strong enough. They thought they were too young. It's the same kind of comments we deal with today that tell us we don't have that kind of experience, the kind of resources, the kind of time. But what we see here is that Jesus is not asking the question of how much bread do they need, but how much bread do you have? Because Jesus sees with perspective. Jesus sees with perspective, specifically the perspective of what they have, as opposed to what they lack. He asks, how much do you have, not how much do you need? And from the few loaves and fish they had, Jesus fed thousands with plenty left over. What would it look like if we saw with Jesus's perspective? How might our lives fundamentally be changed if we saw with Jesus's perspective? What would it look like if we had eyes to see what we have instead of what we lack? If we started simply with what we have rather than what we don't? If we were able to see with Jesus' perspective, would it force us to not just believe in him, but to also believe we could be used by him? Have we become so focused on what we lack that we've forgotten or not even noticed what we have in the first place? Not just what we have, but who we have. Jesus sees with perspective. A few weeks ago, a good friend of mine and a core leader within our student ministries, Mary Feibush, passed away. If you've never met Mary, let me tell you something about her that she would make very clear to you. Mary loved our students. Mary had compassion for our students. 
She had served for longer than 15 years in student ministry. And one of the things I would always hear her tell each of our students was to call her at any time. She would always tell our students that if there was a need, if something happened and they didn't know what to do, who to turn to, they could call her. She would also tell them that it didn't matter what time it was, whether it was during dinner time, 9 p.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., that Mary would pick up. I think Mary saw with the same perspective that Jesus saw with, because so many of us would realistically only pick up between the hours of 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., or if we got a call from someone at 4 a.m., would probably think to ourselves it was a scam call from the East Coast, or that I have work the next morning, or that I need my sleep, I'll call back tomorrow morning, because if I pick up now, I won't even be able to speak coherently. One of the things I appreciated about Mary was that she had so much compassion for the people around her that it helped her to see with perspective. Compassion moved her to act and say, what do I have rather than what do I lack? It was what motivated her to say that you could call her at 3 a.m. Compassion is one of the things that drives us from just seeing what we lack through the lenses of scarcity to seeing with perspective to what we have in abundance like Jesus did. Compassion is what allows us to recognize that we can be used with what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't. Compassion is what helps us to release and give freely of what we have to those in need. Compassion is one of the things that shifts our perspective to Jesus' perspective. From the doubts we often hold that we are not good enough, that we don't have that kind of experience, we don't have the finances, the time, the capacity, we don't have the resources, compassion changes the perspective and allows us to see what it is that we have that can be used to bless those around us. When we have compassion that drives us to see with the perspective of Jesus, all of the sudden, the seven loaves that we had go a lot further than what we may have initially thought. All of a sudden, those two hours that we just had are more than enough to care for those in need. All of a sudden, the things we felt we once had in scarcity are enough for God to use abundantly. Would you pray with me? God, so often we believe in you, but doubt that we could be used by you. Would you help us to recognize that we are constantly being invited by you to be used for the kingdom? Give us your eyes to see from your perspective. Help us to see what it is that we have in abundance rather than what we don't in scarcity. We thank you for your sacrifice, the ways in which you give to us in abundance. Challenge us to give in the same way to others abundantly. In your name we pray. Amen.